Kim, and welcome to A Spoonful of Medicine, topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. Today, we're going to look at congenital and infantile hemangiomas. I know for me, these were conditions that I wasn't very familiar with, and it wasn't until doing a paediatric surgery term that these conditions became a little bit more clearer, as well as the management became a little bit more tangible. So, join us this week as we take a look into infantile and congenital hemangiomas. We're going to begin with a case. So imagine this, you're sitting in your busy GP practice and a mum comes in with a healthy five-month-old girl, Isabella, with a question about a vascular-looking lesion on her back. The mum says that she noticed it a few weeks after Isabella was born. The plaque itself had initially begun as a reddish patch that grew fairly rapidly over the first two months, but then has slowed down in more recent weeks. She tells you that she had an unremarkable pregnancy with Isabella and her birth weight was three kilos and she was born at term. Physical examination in your clinic shows a happy girl in no distress and her vital signs are completely normal. She does have a vascular looking plaque of about two centimetres over the left mid-back. The rest of her examination is normal. In particular, she has no apparent enlargement of any of her viscera or any palpable liver or spleen. She also has no dysmorphic features. A picture of the lesion itself is up on our Instagram page, so pause here to check it out. The question is going to be, is this a neonatal hemangioma or a congenital hemangioma? Well, listen on and we'll find out. Let's first have a look at infantile hemangiomas, or strawberry nevus as sometimes they're referred to. Infantile hemangiomas are the most common benign vascular tumour of childhood. They affect about 5-10% to 10% of infants. And of all the infants that have an infantile hemangioma, about 20% will have more than one lesion. There's an increased incidence of infantile hemangiomas in Caucasians, females, babies who are premature or have low birth weight, those with multiple gestation, advanced maternal age, placenta previa, as well as those who have undergone amniocentesis or chorionic villus sampling. The clinical presentation of an infantile hemangioma is characteristic and they can also be described by their depth, distribution, and phase. Infantile hemangiomas are characteristically absent at birth. However, some may have a precursor lesion that is seen in up to 30%. This could be a pale, faint erythema. 70 to 90% of infantile hemangiomas appear in the first four weeks of life. 60%, so most, are on the face or neck region. There are some clinical subtypes, three to be exact, superficial, deep and mixed. Superficial infantile hemangiomas appear as red, non-pulsatile papules or plaques. Deep infantile hemangiomas 
look like a flesh or blue colour. They're non-tender and they're non-pulsatile. Some infantile hemangiomas may have mixed superficial and deep aspects. In terms of clinical distribution, infantile hemangiomas can be focal, which is 70% of cases. They can be segmental in 18%, indeterminate or multifocal. The natural history of an infantile hemangioma has four phases. Initially, in the first one to three weeks of life, there can be increased induration or thickness of the tissue where the hemangioma lies. Next, there is a proliferative phase, which is characterized by rapid growth over one to three months. In superficial hemangiomas, they reach maximal size in six to eight months, while deep hemangiomas can reach their maximum size over 12 to 18 months. Following the proliferative stage, the hemangioma goes on to plateau or maturation. In this phase, there is growth arrest for about five months. There's minimal growth and the hemangioma itself is stable for about one to four months. After this, the involution stage begins, and this can take up to five to ten years. Note that about 50% of infantile hemangiomas are gone by five years of age, 70% are gone by seven years of age, and about 90% are gone by nine years of age. During the involution stage, the infantile hemangioma may look increasingly pink, grey, and pale. It is softer, smaller, and may have some fibro-fatty residual tissue. It is important to note that 20-40% to 40% will have some residual skin changes that may not completely resolve. So what are the complications of infantile hemangiomas? Well, firstly, they can ulcerate, and this is common in superficial hemangiomas. That can lead to pain, bleeding, infection, and scarring, which especially can be an issue on the limbs, nose, or perineum. Hemangiomas can also interfere with function. If they are near the eye, they can lead to amblyopia, and this needs an urgent referral to ophthalmology. Airway and oral hemangiomas can also pose a risk if they are due to increase in size, as they can obstruct airway. It is also important to consider the cosmetic effect of infantile hemangiomas, especially if they're located on the face, nasal tip, or along the earlobe. When you do come across infantile hemangiomas, most will not be associated with an underlying condition. However, it is important to consider underlying issues in certain situations. Lumbosacral hemangiomas can be associated with spinal dysraphism, lower limb neurological defects, renal and neurogenital defects, as well as anal defects. So it's important to consider lumbar, sacral and pelvis syndromes in children with lumbosacral hemangiomas. Children with mandibular hemangiomas, i.e. in the beard distribution, may have associated airway hemangiomas, subglottic hemangiomas or hemangiomas that can narrow their airway. Children with multiple hemangiomas 
in the sense of more than five skin lesions may have visceral involvement, in particularly hepatic. These children are at risk of cardiac failure because the heart has to pump more blood through oddly collected vessels within the viscera. They also are at risk of hypothyroidism because an enzyme in the hemangioma breaks down T3. A syndrome to keep in the back of your mind when seeing an infantile hemangioma, and also one that doctors love to test you on, is FACES syndrome. FACES is spelt P-H-A-C-E-S, and that's a mnemonic, where P stands for posterior intracranial fossa anomalies, H for hemangiomas, these can be segmental or facial, A for aortic and cerebrovascular arterial abnormalities, C for cardiac abnormalities, including but not limited to atrial and ventricular septal defects, E stands for eye abnormalities such as microphthalmia, optic atrophy and congenital cataracts, and finally S which stands for sternal defects. Next, we're going to have a look at the investigation and management of infantile hemangiomas. Isolated infantile hemangiomas often don't require any management, and observation and follow-up is all that is required. However, if you see mandibular or beard distribution hemangiomas, a lateral neck x-ray along with laryngoscopy examination to assess for airway hemangiomas is recommended. Children with lumbosacral hemangiomas require an ultrasound of the spine and renal tract as well as an MRI of the spine looking for defects in those anatomical areas. Children with multiple hemangiomas, that's more than five, require ultrasounds of the liver, brain and or MRI as well as thyroid function to assess the liver-based hemangiomas as well as risk for hypothyroidism. Those with large segmental facial hemangiomas require evaluation for facies syndrome, lumbar syndrome, sacral syndrome, and pelvis syndrome. This includes eye examination, MRI and MRA of the head and neck, ECG, echocardiography, and that requires a cardiac referral. It is interesting to note that if these hemangiomas are biopsied, Staining for GLUT1 confirms a diagnosis. This is in contrast with congenital hemangiomas that do not stain GLUT1. When managing infantile hemangiomas, no treatment is required for majority of cases because these are uncomplicated. However, referral is required for segmental hemangiomas or those with multiple hemangiomas as well as those with hemangiomas that are ulcerating or at risk of ulcerating. Additionally, hemangiomas that are interfering with function or have the potential to interfere with function, such as those very close to the eye, should be sent for referral. Treatment options depend on what the issue is with the hemangioma. Ulceration can be managed through dressings, analgesia, vascular laser, prevention of infection, as well as oral propanolol. Functional or cosmetic infantile hemangiomas can be managed with oral propanolol. 
The dose is usually 1 to 2 milligrams per kilo per day, but is given in three divided doses. It is important to remember that propanolol does have side effects, and this includes low blood pressure, low heart rate, and decreased blood sugar. Occasionally, topical timolol may be tried. Oral steroids can be used, however, these aren't really utilised much or commonly anymore. Additionally, specialists in vascular anomalies may consider interlesional steroids or vincristine for some lesions. Finally, it's helpful to have a few differential diagnoses in the back of your mind when you see a lesion that you suspect is an infantile hemangioma. This may be a vascular malformation. However, these tend to be present at birth with no proliferation or involution phases. This could be a vascular tumour such as a congenital hemangioma, pyogenic granuloma or tuft angioma. Rarely, these could be locally aggressive tumours such as a carposiform hemangioendothelioma or carposisarcoma. And finally, a rare condition is a malignant tumour being angiosarcoma. And so that is infantile hemangiomas. Okay, so it's time for a change of topic. Let's have a look at congenital hemangiomas. It's important to know how they differ from infantile hemangiomas because the presentation and management is very different. Congenital hemangiomas occur less commonly than infantile hemangiomas. They occur in 0.3% of children and they make up about 14% of all vascular anomalies. Congenital hemangiomas are caused by a somatic activating mutation in the GNAQ gene and its paralogue GNA11. These hemangiomas consist of small to large lobules of capillary proliferations lined by endothelial cells. These endothelial cells are GLUT1 negative. And remember, this is unlike infantile hemangiomas, which are GLUT1 positive. It's also helpful to know that some congenital hemangiomas, namely non-involuting and rapidly involuting congenital hemangiomas, can be stained for Wilms tumor 1 or WT1 protein. So what's the clinical presentation of a congenital hemangioma? Well, unlike infantile hemangiomas, congenital hemangiomas are fully developed at birth. I'm going to repeat that. Congenital hemangiomas are fully developed at birth. They do not have a rapid growth phase. They tend to be solitary, plaque-like or exophytic lesions. While they don't have phases in and of themselves, there are three variants. And these are known as Riche, Niche, and Piche, or rapidly involuting congenital hemangiomas, non involuting congenital hemangiomas, and partially involuting congenital hemangiomas. In Riches, most commonly, these occur on the head and neck or lower limbs. They can vary in size from a few centimetres to more than 10 centimetres. They tend to be solitary 
warm, and occasionally a brewery can be heard. The involution itself starts a few days to weeks post-birth, and in most cases, it's complete by six to fourteen months. Rarely, you can have intrahepatic, rapidly involuting congenital hemangiomas, and these can present as an abdominal mass, decreased platelets, and presence of heart failure. They're often detected with ultrasound. When we next look at niches and how they compare to riches, non-involuting congenital hemangiomas tend to be well-circumscribed, round to oval, plaque-like or bossed soft tissue masses that are flatter than riches. They can be pink, blue to red, purple and warm to touch. Often they have overlying telangiectasias and a rim of pallor as well as a well-circumscribed border. Niches tend to enlarge proportionally with the child, i.e. they grow with them. There tend to be two types of niches, one being a patch type, which is flat and atrophic with the surface. Secondly, they can have nodular plaque types, and this looks like a tissue swelling. The third type of congenital hemangiomas are pieces or partially involuting congenital hemangiomas. These are the least common type. They rapidly involute in the first year of life, but then fail to progress in terms of involution completely. The residual tumour has clinical and ultrasonographic and histological features that are consistent of a niche. They tend to be red to purple patches or plaques with telangiectasias, prominent veins and a pale rim. So what are the complications of congenital hemangiomas? Like infantile hemangiomas, they can ulcerate and bleed. Congenital hemangiomas can also lead to thrombocytopenia and coagulopathy if they have large hepatic lesions. They can also present as transient thrombocytopenia. Liver hemangiomas can have life-threatening bleeding. Large hemangiomas can cause high-output cardiac failure from AV shunting and cardiac overload. In reaches, areas of redundant skin can cause subcutaneous atrophy, textural and colour changes, and persistent telangiectasias or scattered veins. They can also cause areas of alopecia, scarring, and milia formation. In niches, these can have surface changes such as papules or pyogenic granulomas. They can also bleed and be painful from superficial ulceration. The diagnosis of congenital hemangiomas tends to be clinical. However, ultrasound and MRI can be done if the diagnosis itself is unclear. Biopsy can be carried out if a malignant lesion is suspected. These tend to be firm, rapidly growing and fixed to the fascia. Cardiac echo and blood such as full blood count and coagulation studies can be done in infant with large lesions or hepatic lesions. If a rash is noted on prenatal ultrasound, an antenatal MRI is recommended to define better the characteristics of this vascular tumour. The differentials of a congenital hemangioma are similar to those of infantile hemangiomas. 
These differentials include infantile hemangiomas, tuft angiomas, which are uncommon, form hemangioendotheliomas, which are rare as well, and are often associated with Casback merit phenomenon. Vascular malformations are also another differential for congenital hemangiomas, especially venous malformations. However, these are slower in flow, are ill-defined, and are WT1, or Wilms tumor 1, protein negative. Management of congenital hemangiomas tends to be watch and wait or refer. Referral to pediatric surgery is recommended if the hemangioma itself is large, has frequent complications such as bleeding, cardiac failure or low platelets, or if they do not show a tendency to regress in the first few weeks of life. In terms of reaches, these are usually watched as most will resolve by 14 months of age. You need to observe for involution until it is complete because partial involution means you're actually dealing with the peach here. Application of petroleum jelly can help prevent ulceration. They may need excision if bleeding and ulceration becomes a problem. Pulse dye laser treatment can be used to reduce the appearance of telangiectasia once involution has completed. With niches, nothing is done if the lesions are small, asymptomatic and don't bother the patient. However, pulse dye laser may help diminish superficial discoloration. Thick, large lesions may be considered for surgical excision. Hey, do you remember Isabella from early on in our case? What type of hemangioma did she have? Well, I remember that she's a five-month-old girl who presented with her mum with a lesion that was noted a few weeks after birth and the lesion itself was not there when she was born. It grew really quickly in the first two months of life, but has slowed down in more recent days. She's otherwise well, with no visceromegaly and no dysmorphic features. Because this lesion was absent at birth, rapidly grew in the first weeks of life, and now has been pretty stable. It sounds like it is... An infantile hemangioma. And with that, it's time for a recap. Infantile hemangiomas are more common than congenital hemangiomas. Infantile hemangiomas are not present at birth, whereas congenital hemangiomas are present at birth. Infantile hemangiomas tend to develop between 2 to 8 weeks of age with a rapid proliferation. Infantile hemangiomas tend to grow rapidly for about 6 to 12 months and then slowly involute. While congenital hemangiomas have a growth that is complete at birth or they grow proportionally with the child. Some congenital hemangiomas, i.e. reaches, do undergo rapid involution within 12 to 18 months of life. However, some may not undergo involution and these are known as niches. Infantile hemangiomas are GLUT1 positive. Congenital hemangiomas are GLUT1 negative. Infantile hemangiomas can be managed with propanolol, 
congenital hemangiomas are not managed with propanolol. And that's been this week's episode of A Spoonful of Medicine. Thank you so much for joining us. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and tell a friend. For the visual learners of us out there, head over to our Instagram page at spoonful.of.medicine for a quick summary of today's episode, along with some other great educational content. If you'd like to get in touch, have a suggestion for a future episode, or have heard something that you think needs a correction, please email us on spoonfulofmedicinepodcast at gmail.com. It's been a pleasure topping up your paediatric knowledge one spoonful at a time. I can't wait for you to join us on our next episode. But until then, bye.